0: When Abraham Kuyper visited the Great Old Church at the center of Vienna's Old City Center in 1876, he was somehow reminded of the nature of the body of Christ, the eternal church, not made of bricks and mortar. The topsy-turvy adventure that the gospel inevitably spawns among believers was so oddly paradoxical to him as that ancient structure, but not just because it was improbably diverse yet singularly unified. It was because the whole feat of beauty and balance was actually achieved by anonymous, ordinary people. Certainly the Imperial House of Habsburg employed a few master craftsmen from time to time over the years to complete one fantastic project or another in the cathedral, but the vast majority of the construction was undertaken by the faithful members of the congregation. Like most of the other great Gothic architectural wonders throughout Europe, the Steffenstoneplatz was built by the folks of the town there were virtually no professional artisans. There were practically no renowned architects. There were no corporate contractors, no certified engineers, and no planning commissions. That feat of stupendous architectural beauty was accomplished by the simple men and women at hand. The extraordinary was achieved by the ordinary. That, Kuiper realized, was actually the great lesson of all of history. It has always been ordinary people who ultimately were the ones to shape the outcome of great human events. Not kings and princes, not masters and tyrants. It has always been laborers and workmen, cousins and acquaintances who have upended the expectations of the brilliant and the glamorous, the expert and the meticulous. It has been plain folks, simple people who have literally changed the course of history because they were the stuff of which history was made they were the ones who made the world go round. Staring up at the amazing vaulted ceiling along the dancing transepts, he was able to recognize anew that most of the grand, glorious headline-making events through the ages have been little more than backdrops to the real drama of green grocers, village cobblers, next door neighbors, and grandfathers. Despite all the hype, hoopla, and hysteria of sensational turns of events, the ordinary people who tended their gardens and raised their children and perfected their trades and minded their businesses were the ones who made or broke a culture, just like they always have been, just like they always would be. Whether building cathedrals like the Stefan toppling the evil empires of the revolutionary modernists or establishing justice, mercy, and humble faith in his poor fallen homeland, he came to appreciate once again the fact that all of history's most significant developments have been wrought by babushkas and bourgeoisie shopkeepers and students dads and daughters peasants and populists intellectuals and elitists had always been loath to admit it and perhaps always would be but the accomplishments of the quiet and the unsung actually outstripped the loudly publicized deeds of the rich and the regarded those who wrote the histories and steered the cultural apparatus were wont to regard the gifts of ordinary people with scorn but they were in the end sure to be overwhelmed by the torrent of truth evident in God's good providence in the coursing of time. Kuiper was suddenly refreshed with the notion that it was precisely that irony which enabled the Christian worldview to stand out so brilliantly against the gray dullness of modern thought. It was brilliant because it was so mundane. The Christian faith had always acknowledged that a community's strength was not in its leaders, it was in its followers, It had always recognized that the real decision-makers in any culture were the anonymous plotters who were secretly the heroes of history by virtue of their consistent attention to the details that actually mattered—enjoying their wives, loving their children, helping their neighbors, worshiping in spirit and in truth, seeking righteousness, and applying their unique gifts to the affairs of everyday life. Thus, he realized, the masters of the universe were not muscle-bound Greek gods come down from Olympus. They were ordinary folks believers like you and me. The great task of cultural renewal that he had set before himself appeared at first glance to be a part of the repertoire of the especially skilled, the uniquely prepared, and the remarkably qualified. It looked and sounded hard, like some unscalable summit of spiritual heights. It appeared to be attainable only for the select few, the elite, and the privileged. Like some kind of spiritual juggling act or devotional gymnastics, it seemed to be an ideal for the fit, the ambitious, and the talented. But nothing could be further from the truth. And Kuiper now realized how it was that he had exhausted himself. Like the building of cathedrals, the great task of cultural renewal was peculiarly the domain of the ordinary. The simplest people doing the simplest things had always been the profoundest course to achieve the profoundest things. Once he understood that, he was finally able to actually do it. Before his death in 1920, he had successfully mobilized the ordinary citizens of the great Dutch nation to do the difficult work of societal transformation. He was largely able to achieve his aims only after he was disabused of his ability to achieve them. Excerpt from Just Visiting, How Travel Has Enlightened Lives and Viewpoints Throughout History by George and Karen Grant. Welcome back, faithful listeners, to the final episode of season one of the Bright Hearth Podcast. Woohoo! I'm Brian Sava, joined as always by my semi-wakeful, <laughs> beautiful wife, Lexi. Say hi to the people, Lexi. Hi. Yeah, I'm Lexi's stretching. pregnant. So what? <laughs> Stop. <laughs> She's forgetting that this episode, as we record it, won't come out for like four <gasps> oh, weeks. <okay>. <laughs> 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 and we will have already announced this okay uh how does it feel to be pregnant babe <laughs>
1: um tiring good good yeah tiring
0: you've been a little nauseous this time
1: mm-hmm. yeah a little
0: just a little bit mm-hmm. what number is this six <laughs> Did you say at least six? I didn't. Six. Hey, yeah. Six. <laughs> I'm hoping for twins, guys. Six. I've had a long dream of having twins or triplets. Look, I won't say no to any gift that the Lord gives, but we'll see. We'll see, right? Right. That's right. Okay. Well, the subject of this season, like I said, this is the final episode here in season one. At the end of this episode, um, we're going to give you a quick uh, look ahead at season two. But the subject of this season, has been the recovery of the lost arts of domesticity in the productive Christian household. We hope, as you've listened, that you found these episodes to be helpful, practical, encouraging. Um, one of the things that we've tried to do with Brighthearth Hearth is not to just give you disembodied or unembodied principles or ideolo- ideological sort of uh, notions floating around in space, but we've really tried to make them connect and make contact with your everyday life. We think that there's a lot of there are a lot of resources out there that give good theology and even good principles, but, but fail sometimes to bring those principles down for the ev- average everyday person to live out. And so hopefully this first season has served you guys practically and encouraged you. And so before we bring this season to a close, we wanted to bring you this final episode to serve as something of a charge. So this episode is intended to be like the podcast version of Theoden's speech to the Rohirrim on the fields of the Pelennor, or Aragorn's speech to the men of the West at the Black Gates. And Lexi came up with that.
1: <laughs> I'm more thinking of all the pep talks in uh, the Iliad,
0: but yes. yeah, <laughs> same same thing. I mean, Tolkien basically ripped those off. So so if if I could start us out with just one big point that I hope that you've gotten from this. Season. It's that you are the point. You are the plan. Uh, The households that you build, the children that you make, the fruit that comes out of your house, these things are the plan for conquering the world in Christ's name. It's ordinary Christians being ordinary Christians. That is the plan. The plan for the kingdom of God does not consist in an elite team of Navy SEAL Christians who are going to do most of the work of the kingdom— you know, overseas. Some, somewhere in India or Africa, <laughs> while the rest of us give a few dollars every month in response to some, you know, heart-tugging ad that we see on Facebook. That's not how the kingdom of God advances. The kingdom of God advances by ordinary Christians being ordinary Christians. That is the plan. And so every jar of fruit that you grow, every, every you know, every item of food that you can in a failed attempt or a successful attempt every little bottom that you diaper and then diaper again and then undiaper and spank and then diaper again all given in love every mouth that you fill with good food every kitchen mess that you clean up every dollar that you earn with diligent and creative work heartily as unto the lord all of that is the plan all of that done christianly is the plan that's the way that neighbors are going to be loved The world is going to be evangelized, discipled, baptized, and taught to obey all that Christ commanded. Amen?
1: Amen. Amen. And (laughs) (laughs) few. Yeah, right? Because it's not about fancy Christians.
0: It's not. It's not about the smartest, the brightest, the most gifted. It's about the Lord's grace and glory being magnified in our normalness, our weakness, in our flesh, dust, all of it. So we wanted to give you just a few principles here that we, that we hope that you would take away from this season. Kind of big, if we could put these up in neon, these would be the big principles that we'd want you to take away. We're going to give them in no particular order. And then, like I said, at the end of this episode, capping things off, we will uh, give you a quick look at season two, which is coming up right after season one, as it tends to do. And uh, then we'll go from there. Ready to go? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. The first principle that we hope that you've gotten driven through your brain until you are sick of it is that when we're talking about the lost arts of domesticity and the productive Christian household, you will get everything wrong if you don't understand that the house is for the people, not the other way around. It's not the people for the house, it's the house for the people.
1: We definitely don't want you walking away from this season with a to-do list without being able to have the faces of the people that live under your roof before your eyes at all times. Eric gave that charge a few weeks ago about don't just see the chore list you have tomorrow Monday morning, but see the people that you're doing it for. Mm. And I've
0: been thinking about that a lot. Yeah, we would have failed at this season if you walk away just going, here's a to-do list of things. Lexi is losing it over here because (laughs) – I think between it being like 9 o'clock and pregnancy, the brain is... I'm
1: fine. I thought something was crawling oh, okay. on me, but it was You're just good. a wire. It was just
0: the cable from the headphones. Yeah, that, that's, that's absolutely right. If, if you walked away from the season... If we had a bunch of moms who all of a sudden were super anxious because they were like, yes. I need to learn how to can. That's and I've got to point. decorate my house. And, and the kids aren't clothed properly. And I've got to get a whole new wardrobe because it wasn't enough dresses. And um, uh, <laughs> I haven't cooked <laughs> enough today. It was only two meals. I didn't cook three. Like, you know, if you do that and you get anxious and then you start being a grouch, yeah. then you're, we've failed you and, you. and you've failed at the most important thing.
1: And all of this should be very human-paced, which means here a little, there a little.
0: Yeah, the ne- do the next thing. Do the next thing with an organized attitude, cheerful heart. Remember what we tell our children. Obedience is not obedience unless it's all the way, right away, with a happy heart. It's true for us, too. It's true for us too. So we want you to remember that the house is for the people, not the people for the house. That's a principle that you should you should put up. Like I know we've talked about word art and how dumb it is. <laughs> you could do this one though. Like put this somewhere in your kitchen maybe, I don't know. House is for the people, not the people for the house. Anything else on that?
1: I just prefer the word household instead of house.
0: <laughs> yeah, the household. So number two, some of these principles are quotations of Scripture. This one is a quotation of Scripture. The second principle I'd want you to get, and this is really related to the first one. It's a way of helping you think about how to do the first one well and what it means to have a productive household for the sake of the people. It's that where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. What does that mean?
1: It means your floors are going to be sticky and you're probably doing something right and you're tired and you're probably doing something right. But most people want to panic over those things Mm. instead of... Allowing them to grow virtue, which is kind of the point of a lot of what we're talking about is growing in virtue. Growing in interest in God's world is, in and of itself, a virtue. Yes. So don't be scared. Like, when it starts to feel hard, you're probably on the right track.
0: Amen. Yep.
1: And don't, like, put all ideals aside, but understand... By nature, mess is part of the harvest. Mm. By the nature of the harvest, there's going to be mess.
0: Yeah. So. There was one of those, uh, like, you know, on social media, you'll see a tweet that's like the algorithm says, you might like this tweet. And it was a woman who said, it was like a, a funny tweet like my my son came up to me and said mom why do you cross your legs when you sneeze and she said my child it is because of you <laughs> and the first comment replying to this funny tweet was a woman saying oh this is why i'm so glad that i've chosen to be childless and never have any children like it's just mass upon mass and work upon work and i was like wow you know, way to intentionally uh, prevent yourself from being blessed. Yeah. Right. Out of fear of some silly mess or giving yourself away or having some sort of struggle and pain in your life. It's like, how many people in history, how many of the people in all of the shows and the movies and the things that even women like that like um, become he- the heroes of the show by being lazy, selfish, and completely self interested?
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: Basically, none of them. No, it's through struggle. It's through death, burial, and resurrection. They, they have to steal that from the Christian story to make any good story. But this is this is the principle that if you want to actually have abundant crops, then you're going to have a household that will be messy and uh, an, a working household, not an Instagram household.
1: I think the flip side is you can kind of measure your or gauge whether or not you're stretching yourself, not because your house is a mess 24 seven, but do you ever feel tension? You know?
0: Right. Yeah. Do you ever look and go, how am I going to get all this done? <laughs> like there's just, I can't, there's no way there's, there's no way I can juggle all this. You should have days like that. You should have days like that where you have a real challenge and then you work together and you, you fight the good fight and you in faith with a cheerful heart, go and you do the thing and the Lord blesses, and he gives the increase, and the abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. We could say, and we hope that you've taken this from season one, that um, (laughs) we we could say that abundant fruitfulness comes by the strength of the toddler, like eventually.
1: (laughs) Well, and I think, too, when you're convinced from Scripture that this is how the Lord is building his kingdom, then you can look to those hard tasks or days or projects or seasons and believe God for the grace to get through them Mm -hmm. because it's, you don't think like, Oh, this is something I have, like I am building for myself. No, this is the way the Lord has set up the universe to actually work. And so he's going to help you accomplish those tasks. However high those mountains may Mm -hmm.
0: look. So yes, yes, exactly. And it's not just that the Lord is going to advance his kingdom through our, like having children period. He's going to advance the kingdom. Think about through the people. The people that you love and serve, the, the neighbor that you have come over, the friend in, in church, the other yeah. family that you serve and feed and bless, and your own children as well, those people are going to go out and multiply every effort that you've put into loving them. Yeah. Gets multiplied to other people in God's world. So where there are no oxen, the manger's clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. Number three, this is another quotation of scripture, and this is a callback to our most popular episode from season one our most popular episode from season 1 by a long shot because you guys all love sex apparently was our our sex episode uh episode 2 i think it has like 40 to 50% more listens than any other episode and we've gotten a lot of feedback from that episode as well listener questions as well as just appreciation for the episode we're going to be talking more about that in season 2 so stay tuned there. But but we would say principle number three, let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. We said in that episode that the productive Christian marriage bed is a central aspect of the productive Christian house. And so this is one of those aspects, one of those rooms of the house where if sin gets into it, unrepentant sin, if things start to pile up hidden away, if this part of the house isn't going well, then it's one of the surest ways to destroy your household. And again, no matter how productive your kitchen is or how productive other aspects of your household might be, how much money's coming in or whatever else, if there's sexual sin there in in the marriage bed and if there's uh, if that kind of thing is is going on, then it will absolutely it's undercut all for naught. All for naught. Yeah destroy marriages, destroy households. So um, why do you think that sex episode was the most popular, other than that it's just about sex?
1: I wonder. (laughs) I don't know. I just, I think it's kind of some of the stuff we talked about. It's just not really common knowledge anymore because of lots of different things, like lack of generational knowledge being passed down, lack of discipleship among men and women, Lack of body literacy. I don't mean mm, yes. that in the way that the feminists do. Yeah, those are probably some of the reasons.
0: Yeah, I think that because we have a culture that is so weighed down with sexual guilt, we actually don't have the capability. Everything's about sex. And so, but at the same time, it's like nothing is actually about sex the right way. So there's all of this, you're awash with lust, a world of lust but you actually have very little positive examples and teaching on righteous, God-glorifying, you know, beautiful, glorious sex. So I think part of the reason that episode was so popular was because I think a lot of people shared it, and mm-hmm. they said, hey, this was practical and helpful. Yeah, that's true. So one of the principles that we'd want you to take away from this season is that you need to make sure that you're fighting in your marriage to honor the marriage bed, keep it undefiled, and to uh, fight for the sexual purity and joy of your home so that for, you, for the married couples—many you know, mo- many of you are married who are listening, probably the majority of you—you you need to make sure that you're not neglecting the sexual relationship in your marriage, um, especially as other aspects of productivity increase. It's really easy when you're going to bed tired and you're doing important good work all day— to all of a sudden go, oh, our marriage bed is barren. Like we, we, we just fall asleep. You know, end of the day, it's like there's, there's nothing going on. So, ladies, fight to love your husband, to be responsive and available to your husband. Husbands, fight to woo and to love your wives and pursue and cherish your wife. Flirt. Make sure that there is a joyful, uh, flirtatiousness at the heart of your productive household. Am I right? Yes. <laughs> Sometimes I flirt with Lexi uh, while podcasting. always
1: laughing about Ira.
0: What about him? N-
1: nothing. Didn't he? What did he say? Appropriate. Yesterday? What nothing did he say that's yesterday? appropriate. He said,
0: Are you flirting?
1: Nothing that's appropriate.
0: <laughs> it's appropriate. He was looking no, at us. Wh- we okay. I was, no. I was, I was giving Lexi the eyes of love and dancing her around the kitchen. <laughs> no, and, it was over the ice cream cone. Oh, over the ice cream cone. Yes. And Ira looked at us like, <laughs> are you floating right now? And I was like, you better believe it.
1: He thought you were making an exchange, giving me the rest of your ice cream cone in exchange so for that you'd flirt. <laughs> yeah, he said, oh, you just give her the was. ice
0: cream cone so she'll flirt with you. <laughs> I was like, no, I don't need to buy my lady's affection. She loves me. Yeah, anyway, so flirt with your And husband. I said flirt that. Yes. <laughs> I just
1: also really like ice cream.
0: It's, yeah. And you happen to get too cream. much. And I got too much. And I got too little. So it was perfect. We were made for each other. <laughs> So flirt, repent of your sexual sin, get in the light and have sex if you're married and enjoy all right next principle fight for localism everywhere you can so uh, we mean like local medicine local food, local community we we hope to encourage you in to to fight with your household against the increasing homogenization and globalization and statism of every aspect of the world. So every aspect of the world is trying to centralize your whole life into a big government, big pharma, big agriculture, big science, big everything, where someone else is doing everything for you, and they don't love you, they don't worship the Lord, they actually hate you, and they want fewer people, and they think that you're the problem, and that all your carbon emissions are destroying the world, and I could keep going. So we fight that. One of the ways we fight that is fighting for localism, local yeah. medicine, local food, local community.
1: Yeah. Del Bigtree has had some really awesome interviews on his show lately, um, The High Wire but there was one that I was listening to in the middle of the night, so I forget who it was that he was talking to, mm-hmm. but they were talking about how the most grievous, they didn't use the word sin, but that's mm-hmm. what I was thinking yeah. of in terms of tyranny is that it deindividualizes the human mm-hmm. and it, it's allowing for like one huge person to make all the decisions for the individual. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about how in that case, tyranny and globalism is removing, it's not actually doing it, but it's trying to remove the creative image of God in each person mm-hmm. by removing all autonomy from us
0: mm-hmm.
1: in our food choice, in all sorts of things. But yeah. I was like, man, that's a really good observation I hadn't necessarily thought of.
0: Yeah, they're trying... To see, it's, it's interesting because... Like,
1: it's not first that they're trying to control what we drive. It's that the, at the end of that is they're dehumanizing us.
0: Yes. When you worship the Father and submit to Him as the Lord of, uh, and King of everything and say, God the Father and his Son by his Spirit is in charge of everything. Every step I take will be a step on his plantation, in a sense, in a world that he owns. He, he owns it all. Like He owns my house. He owns my body. He owns my wife. He owns my kids. He owns my money. He owns my car. He owns the whole world, whole cosmos, whole universe, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, everything. He owns all of it. When you do that properly, what happens? Well, you find that you become human and that you become free everywhere. Yeah. You can then go out everywhere you, you put your foot down and enjoy. You can enjoy the creation, enjoy your house, enjoy your body, enjoy your wife, enjoy your kids, enjoy everything. So the demonic inversion, when the government, the statist god of the government, becomes the father, it's the paradox is inverted. St- <laughs> they say they own everything, and then if you acknowledge it, thinking you'll find freedom, like, yes, daddy, mm-hmm. government, I worship you— you actually find that every step you take is further enslavement.
1: Well, in thinking in terms of freedom, the Christian is free because they understand the nature of each thing, and they can mm. interact with it accordingly. But According to its nature. Yes, but the government, apart from the Lord, can't understand that. Yep. So it can't do anything but enslave us, because there is no mm. freedom, because yes. they don't understand the nature of the world.
0: Yes, exactly. And so one of the ways we fight that as Christians, understanding the nature of things... Is to speci- Some of us should become specialists in medicine and local medicine, some in local food, some in, in various aspects of local community and culture, like art and singing and business. And, and when you come together into a robust and thick Christian community locally, you find humanizing, human-scaled joy every, in every one of those things. You don't then, as a productive household, have to model the entire world. You don't have to become an expert in every subject because you're surrounded by a local community where you know that when I need this, that guy's the expert builder. That guy's the expert. You know, She knows all about home medicine. He knows all about business. And you can go out and you have this thick local community uh, instead of relying on these expansive, um, globalist sort of uh, nets that really are aimed at capturing you and making you a slave. So one of the big principles of this season that we hope you take away is to become an expert somewhere. So become a specialist in some locally helpful thing in your household. Let your household be the canning household.
1: I was I was thinking cuz today the episode came out where we were talking about agriculture and something that we didn't talk about was like don't wait for somebody else to create and build yeah. that culture. You need to be the one that's <clears throat> you need to be the one that's building it for mm. your church, not that it needs to be some sort of you know, program that is sanctioned by the elders, but are you teaching classes? Are you inviting people over? Are you teaching people to butcher? Are you saying, hey, let's watch this YouTube series together? Like, you be that person. Whatever culture you want, you take responsibility for it and build it.
0: Exactly. And you can do this. Some people have asked, like, several times, and I I feel like we've addressed it and tried to make this practical, whether you're in a rural or urban environment. But let's say you're in a city, and you don't have aspect, you know, access to a lot of green growing space. Yeah, I did talk to
1: some people about this actually.
0: That, that doesn't. None of this is different. It just means that some of the applications will be different. Yeah. So you can still become an expert in preserving food. You can still become an expert in home medicine. You could still take up a uh, house beautifying, home beautifying art, artistic endeavor. You could become an expert in in clothes making. You could become an expert in music, or there are you know there are ten thousand different things that you can do that are all consistent with Christian localism uh, in building a thick, robust local Christian culture where mm-hmm. you are. Anybody can sing psalms in in a that's, city, or yeah, in the, that's what I was going to say. Anybody can play you know learn how to play the piano, whether they're in. So that, that it's not just we're not just saying be a farmer.
1: No, no, no. We're, yeah, what whatever you want the local Christians around you to value, show them how to value it. Yep. Start a psalm sing night once a week at your house. Start a sewing group together. Go invite a bunch of friends yep. to an out-of-city farm to pick raspberries at. Yep. like
0: Literature group.
1: Yeah, every all of it, all you, of it.
0: You could even, um, when it comes to food even, cities often, there can be ways to get great access because of the density, yeah. population density. Yeah. You could start a local food buying program and bring really good food in and and find the nearest local farming communities or things like that to your city. And there are ways to do this, even in pretty population-dense environments mm-hmm. that do support Christians, even maybe a little further out, but are still very much local to you. Yeah. They're the closest thing for you, shortening that supply chain. Um, so fight for localism everywhere you can. The fifth principle we'd want you to take away is that when we're talking about the household being for the people— Loving the people, that means that you're to love your people from womb to deathbed, that the productive Christian household cares for people and becomes and grows in skill in caring for people at every stage of human life. So productive Christian households are not just households for for babies. They're not just households for young families. They're not even just households for, um, you know— the one married couple living with their children under 18. This is a household where children can be born and people should be able to die, and everything in between, intergenerational. So we want you to take hold of the the calling to learn how to love people at every stage from womb to deathbed. In another episode that we got a lot of feedback from, one of our more listened to episodes from season one was Deathbed Hospitality. Yeah, it's true. Where do you think... Our culture misses the mark on this.
1: The way we build our houses and our cities, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it makes me so mad.
0: <laughs> yeah. And most of us can't do anything about yeah, that. Yeah, we can't
1: do anything about it because, again, it's out of our hands. It's somebody else maybe controls our everything. Maybe our children.
0: and yeah, maybe our children. Uh, but what what are some ways that Christians today could take that principle and say, okay, I want to learn and...
1: I think being imaginative, like what is your ideal is your ideal to have a work home mixed community where your husband and his coworkers all buy a piece of land together and they can work somewhere in the center. So moms aren't so lonely without dads all day long and children get to see what hard work is like and, you know, then figure out how to build that. Like I think too, just being exposed to other cultures and other ways and times of doing things, intergenerationally is really helpful because there's still a lot of people that are still doing this all over the world. It's just highly unusual in the U.S. i S I'm really loving Christopher Alexander's series. They talk about this in there in different places, but I don't know if it's in the timeless way of building or the pattern language, but like, how can we, what are just simple ways that we can add this lifelong desire. Can you just can can you upsize your house so you have a spare room for people? Can you buy next to family members if property goes up for sale? Can you guys all pitch in on a piece of property? You know, even even high school people listening start thinking about that now. Like what can you be doing at a very early age yeah. to Because I like, we know some really successful guys at Refuge that they started thinking about property in high school. I think one of them bought his first piece of property with a high school friend when they were still in high school. And that just sets you up real nice. (laughs) So, uh, just you know, think outside of the modern American box and you know, what are little, just little steps you can take, even if it's just you know, learning to grow in patience towards your your parents or your family members or your great grandma who lives near you or whatever it is.
0: Mm, Yes, very much. Very much the case that if you just figure out the next thing to do, start planning ahead, like it's pretty amazing what can be accomplished over some decades when you stop thinking about like today yeah, and you start thinking about some decades or generations.
1: Well, I think even like when we built this house, we had three kids and we didn't really know if we were going to have more kids. Yeah, And so there are things I just did not think about building into this house that would have made it more functional for a large family. And it's little things like that that you kind of have to take the next step of faithfulness to really f- figure out what the long-term wisdom is to mm-hmm. serve people well. Yep. But if you're just, like, if you're shooting for giant mansion where both my in-laws and my parents can come, but I kind of hate being around them, and I can't really stand them. Well, (laughs) what's the point?
0: (laughs) Yeah, again, like back to the first, the households for the people. You can do all this stuff, but if you have no love, you're a clinging gong. Yeah. Just a symbol. And that really brings us to the sixth principle, Um, speaking of children and uh, intergenerationality. We we hope you take away from this season that children are a blessing, and so act like it. Children are a blessing, so act like it. Educate them, worship with them, protect them, Enjoy them, clean honor them, them clean brush them, brush them, clothe them, <laughs> love them, treat them like someone you love and that you're in charge of. <laughs> treat them like someone that you hope to see grow into the type of person you would love to hang out with and be with. And, you know, who yes, yeah. would be an enrichment to your life that you'd be like, oh, I can't wait to hang out with that guy, or I can't wait to hang out with her. That's what we want our children. We want our children to love the Lord, be interesting, kind you know respectful people and so treating treating children not as a burden is just absolutely central to the productive Christian household most of the you know many of the the arts of domesticity that we've talked about are centered and orbit around children yeah. having and loving children i think this is a ditch though where in principle 99% of our listeners only the people leaving us one star reviews by the way if you're listening to this please go leave us a good review to counteract some of the Absolutely enriching one-star reviews that we get all the time um, from people basically who find me on Twitter and think that I am literally <laughs> Hitler. So, um, which I'm 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 not by the way. I'm not. No, nope. uh, and I also don't hate women and uh, all the other things I hear about myself on the internet. <laughs> Never search my name on Reddit, by the way. Fake
1: mustache Huge man. Huge
0: mistake. Yeah, someone said he yeah, I photoshopped the church in my profile picture in. Like, no, that's just the church I pastor. That Lexi's not real that uh, all that stuff, that I'm an incel. Don't don't look that up if you don't know what it means. Anyway, um, what, 99.9% of our listeners, except ones who are drive-by one-star reviewing, agree with us and can quote Psalm 128 and probably sing, Bless the man that fears Jehovah, the contus setting of it. So yes, you, you agree with us here, but but man, this is actually one of the testing points, I think, for all of us. Do you live like your children are a blessing? When they're annoying? <laughs> do you live like children are a blessing at bedtime, day in and day out? Oh, yeah. Dinner yeah. Time, when the two year old who's potty training has feet <laughs> upon the floor in front of you for the third time that day, that's when we show do we believe yeah. children are a blessing? And this is convicting for me. Like every confession of sin on Sundays, I'm like, Lord, I was impatient with the kids again. It's
1: not when they're being funny or they're <sighs> well dressed,
0: yeah, it's... or they're cute, and Lord, or when you've had me. eight
1: hours of sleep.
0: It's it's the try. It's the furnace. That's when we show. Do we f- do we agree with the worldview of the abortionists? Yeah. Or do we believe exactly. these children are a blessing? Are they are they an inconvenience to me? Like, am I willing to love them sacrificially? Meaning, I'm actually it costs me something to love them. Yeah. Some of your kids are going to be way more likable than others moment to moment. You got to figure it out. Like, how can you say your amen to what God has said about them, that they're a blessing? So, educate them, worship, get really practical. Think about how you're educating them, bring them into worship with you, protect them, clothe them well, enjoy them, honor them. Number seven. We talked a lot in this season about money and finances and. Um, the product part of the productivity of the productive Christian household is that it's an economy. There's money coming in and being spent and going out and being converted into services for people and loving people and clothing and feeding people, all that. So one of the principles we hope you walk away with is this: work heartily as for the Lord, and don't be try don't be scared to try to make more money and invest in your generations. Work heartily as for the Lord. And don't be scared to try and make more money and invest in your generations. I think we talked about this. A lot of Christians simply have a scarcity and fear mindset when it comes to money. Agree, disagree?
1: Totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. I also was thinking about how I wished at one point we would have talked about, because I, I don't know, I go back and forth with this, but we now have the luxury, because other people provide jobs for us, most of us, to just be able to say things like, well, I'm not an entrepreneurial type. Mm-hmm. So, but that's not, like, there was actually a time through most of history where we had to make work for ourselves. Like, that was the normal human experience. We couldn't rely upon somebody else for that. So maybe i I would i just am saying that because maybe someone is out there saying that about themselves, and it's and they're not thinking about it in human terms again, like how did God make the world God didn't make the world for most of us to rely on a few elite people to provide jobs for us? That's what we're told nowadays, but that's not true, so how can you? create a job for yourself.
0: Yeah, and and even as you, many of you will, and the majority of people will work for someone else for the majority of their life in the scale of economy that God made, but how can you do that in a way that is consistent with you saying, I am a freeman, I'm a free man who's working truly, even when I'm selling my labor or selling my time or selling my skills— I'm doing so in a way that is consistent with working heartily as unto the Lord and building a productive household.
1: Talk more about that then, because that, that is what I mean, is like you own your time versus... Yeah,
0: yeah that's, so a lot of people, they, they go about work in a dependent attitude where they basically just... It's an entitled and a dependent attitude. They think, number one, that my employer owes me a job. They don't owe you a job. It's a free exchange. Like they can fire you tomorrow... I know there's some legal places where that's not true. Utah's an at-will state, so they could fire you tomorrow in Utah. But you shouldn't have the attitude that I deserve this job. I, you know, They have to provide for me the way that I expect them to, et cetera, et cetera. No, you're, you're basically as valuable in this exchange as your skills and your time are. The reason that they're paying you $60,000 or $50,000 or $100,000 a year is because they're making more than that from your time. so And that's good. That's actually how the economy works that God made. It's not a bad thing. But you just have to understand that. Like I'm selling my time for $50,000 a year, and somebody's providing me with the security and the ease of showing up at this job and doing that work and getting my paycheck without the risk. But they're doing that because, hypothetically, they're making $100,000. In fact, many businesses will say, for every $50,000 employee, I'm trying to make $250,000 of income. Mm. So when you start to understand the way that these things work, it is a lot easier to start thinking in terms of how can I actually grow and leverage the the value of my labor, my skills, my work, it, whether to this employer, or another employer, or in just going and expanding the economic pie and doing another thing that, that uh, starting a new thing, or teaming up with some other people and owning our own business that kind of thing small businesses are it's like a 10 trillion dollar industry a year in America right now and upwards of it's like 60 or 70% of those businesses are owned by baby boomers who are going to retire soon and many of them have no succession plan so there's actually a lot of opportunity for crafty yeah. smart wise young men and to go out and maybe purchase small businesses and Working on some things along that line here in Ogden, but
1: so I do still think more people should maybe consider being entrepreneurial, but maybe what I mean is raise your own standard for your work yeah. so that you can raise your value
0: of your time as well. yeah, exactly because if your you standard.
1: are a lame worker, you're <laughs> no. not worth that much right
0: and trust <laughs> tr- get some helpful man around you who can be honest with you and say Ooh, hey, it's it'd be better yeah. for you. You're not wired to go be an entrepreneur. Yeah. You really should work for a Christian brother or work for your employer and do a good job. Continue to grow and expand. Not everybody should be an entrepreneur, um, but everybody should be thinking: How can I work heartily as for the Lord and do in my thing? Be a ten. Be the guy who, whether I have one talent, five talents, or ten talents, return. You know, bring a return and go and. And I think in the scarcity mindset too, another thing we've encountered, we've talked about this in productive households kind of talk this season, is that a lot of the time there are men who are asking their wives, feed the family really well on ancestral nutritional food and I want three meals cooked for everybody a day and we're going to have five children and here's $218 a month for your budget and go ahead. And the, the wife looks at that. She does her best, but she just says, I don't think I can do that. <laughs> I don't think $218 is going to cut it, especially in Biden's economy. So to those men, I say, you got to figure out how to get more budget to your wife for, gro- for the groceries or just grow the, grow the budget in general. And, and that's your responsibility. You, it's your it's your job, like, and it's not my job to figure it out for you. It's your job to go figure that out. But I want to give you the freedom and kind of like give you permission to go to make a goal. In the next six months, I want to increase my income by X, or I want to, f- and then figure out a way to do it. And a lot of guys just go, oh, I'm allowed to do that?
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like,
0: my brother in Christ, yes, you are. <laughs> you are allowed. So work heartily. And then finally, this is the last principle that we'll leave you with. Again, there are so many that we could talk about from this season, but the last one is that we we would have you know that productive Christian households are built on ordinary Christians doing 10,000 acts of small obedience to the Lord, 10,000 acts of death, burial, and resurrection, 10,000 acts of faith, not huge, enormous, flashy things in some ways— This is a summary of lots of what we said already in this episode, but productive Christian households are about slow, small, faithful plotting.
1: Reformation. Mm. So don't be impatient with your kids when you have a canning project you want done or feel like you don't have enough research time or enough me time to, you know, hand sew all your clothes or you need to buy more store-bought food for a season than Mm -hmm. you'd like to do. Like, that's that's the whole point is you're building up the people. Like Brian was saying earlier, those are kind of our testing points as moms. Do we view them as a blessing when we're not checking our idealistic boxes off?
0: Mm, Yes. And
1: I think the more I've grown in understanding that it's part of the nature of God's world for things to be slow-growing, the way, way more okay with, like idealistic circumstances i am i don't know you can tell me if that's true or not because you live with me but <laughs> but um at least i feel it in my head that i don't feel so panicky about things
0: mm, yes no i i get what you're saying that's very true i think about these principles and like the way and i think about the way that you do really anything meaningful is like a master bricklayer building a, a you know an amazing like Victorian era brick cottage or brick house he's not showing up day one and saying what are the three things i can do today that will finish this house yeah he's saying oh look another row of bricks to lay yeah which you can only do one brick at a time
1: i don't know where it was but pastor wilson said somewhere that a reformational mom who's trying to get all the sheets changed at night May realize that she has to serve cheese quesadillas for dinner mm. instead of a roasted chicken. Yeah, and I've thought about that a lot. Like, it's kind of a give and take when it comes to some of this stuff.
0: Oh yeah, and it is going to be recognizing your own humanity and yeah. like your own limited Part of not being God is that you have limitations. Yeah, and and that is why like it's it's such a comfort to me that God isn't asking of us di- divinity. God is not asking of us anything other than plotting, faith, doing... I mean, he literally says in Ephesians 2 that we're his workmanship, we're we're new creatures, we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he has set before us that we would walk in them. So think about the picture there. The good works are like footsteps. It's like putting your left foot in front, your right foot in front. No single footstep when you go on a walk is all that memorable, right? Yeah. Like (laughs) walking around all day... It's not that, you walk around your house, it's not memorable. You don't remember, you know, step 3,463 today was a really good step. (laughs) That was just, people came and they asked for my autograph. They They were just, oh, that step was so amazing. That's what most of the good works in our life will be like, forgettable steps that you take. But what's amazing is that God says he's using those things, to actually produce glory and to do yeah. and to build and to do meaningful, lasting work, he makes all of our work meaningful.
1: I think too, so much of like productive households and just basic service among the local Christian body, there it's consumable things. So you can get frustrated if you have a rev- revolutionary mindset. You know, why was din- why are there dinner dishes again? Why is there laundry again? Why is there yard work again? Why is that family in need again? Like. But that's kind of the whole point, is that God has, again, created us dependent upon one another. We are not gods, and so we are dependent on clean clothes. Mm -hmm. We are dependent on food. We are dependent upon money. So that helps me be patient with certain aspects of
0: all of this. Yes. So here's the point. You are the plan. Again, you are the plan. The households you build the children you make, the fruit that comes out of your house, these things, these ordinary things, ordinary Christians being ordinary Christians, these things are the plan for Christ to progressively conquer the world, to disciple the nations and baptize the nations. It's going to be ordinary Christians doing ordinary work. And so as you go about the various rooms of your house and aim to serve husbands and cherish wives and love children, feed strangers, and exercise hospitality, and grow businesses. May the Lord bless you in all of that, and may He bless you in showing you the glory of the mundane, the glory of the day-to-day, of the plodding faithfulness of the productive Christian household. May He give you great joy in your work. Uh, As we round out this season, we're looking forward to season two, and in season two, we're going to be talking about something that we're very, very uh, excited to take up, for an entire season and really go deep on it. And it's almost like one aspect of this season put under a, a magnifying glass and really um, expand it into its parts, and that's marriage. Marriage as the heart of the productive Christian household. So we're going to be talking about all sorts of very practical blue-collar theology as it relates to marriage. We'll be talking about things like patriarchy versus complementarianism. What does it mean? Why would we use the word patriarchy positively in marriage? Finding the mission for your household in marriage, being easier to please, resolving conflict, leading your wife, Um, respecting your husband, sex and lovemaking, date night, headship and head coverings. We'll even talk about finding a spouse and some of those things related to um, the singles who are looking to find a husband or a wife talk about toxic patriarchy and toxic matriarchy, fighting feminism in your marriage, pulling the weeds of bitterness, complaining, unforgiveness, pornography, all those different just normal blue-collar things that almost every Christian marriage is going to deal with most of the things we talk about at some point. And so we hope it'll be really helpful to you, hope it's going to be practical for you, and uh, that it will actually move the needle in your actual day-to-day married life, or uh, as you look towards marriage. If you're a single uh, man or woman listening in on this episode, we hope that it actually helps you to grow in Christ-likeness and to look more like the Lord in your marriage. So look forward to that. We'll be rolling right into season two here with a look there. We'd ask you to share these episodes with your friends, share the podcast with your friends. That's really the best way to get the word out. We've had many listeners show up to the podcast just through word of mouth, We'd appreciate it if you'd leave us a review wherever you're listening, whether it's Spotify or Apple uh, Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Leave us a five-star review uh, if if you're able to do so genuinely. We'd really appreciate it. If not, go ahead and review um, like Joel Osteen's podcast with one star and then uh, compare it, and then you'll feel better about ours by comparison. Also, one of the best ways to help make this show possible and support the work that goes into it, which is not nothing, <laughs> it's actually... Costly for us to do this show uh, in multiple directions. We pay for sound editing, equipment, and a lot of other things. We pay guests to come on and all that sort of thing. So, become a patron. You can give a few dollars a month, or ten dollars a month, or whatever you can pitch in. It's very helpful. We try to make it worth it for you. We release a weekly episode called "In the Kitchen" uh, that is just for patrons over at Patreon.com/slash/Brighthearth, and there's a link in the description for that. And uh, there we get even more practical and answer listener questions and share a lot of resources and links and things like that, book lists, bibliographies, that sort of thing. Uh, that's one of the best ways to support this work, and uh, we try to devote focused time to answering questions there and really prioritizing time to those who have pitched in and helped us make the show possible. So you can uh, sign up there. If you can't afford to do that, don't, don't worry about it. We're, we're happy to provide this podcast for you here. And we, we understand not everybody will be able to support the show in that way. But it does mean a lot. Um, there's a link in the description there. And uh, as always, may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. We'll see you next season. Bright